This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Senator Whitehouse, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, an interesting time to say the least when it comes to the Supreme Court right now. In some, we could sort of set this up for quite a bit of time, but kind of fast forwarding to the moment when it comes to Harlan Crow, he's rejected a request by the Senate Judiciary Committee to offer full accounting of the gifts, trips, trips and travel accommodations he gave to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. That's where we are right now. I guess take us through this entire saga and your position as it has become well known in these last really last weeks. Well, the saga actually begins with the um, Trump list, the so-called Federalist Society list of nominees, which um, was the culmination of an effort by right-wing billionaires to capture and control the Supreme Court. Um, They spent by one measure $580 million on that effort. And if that seems like a big number, they just got a donation for $1.6 billion into the network of front groups that uh, through which this effort is deployed. So the Clarence Thomas uh, billionaire hospitality saga and the ethics problems of not disclosing it is really just a small leg of that larger beast of a story. But it comes to us because Harlan Crow, who is a right-wing, active billionaire, um, politically engaged, uh, funding right-wing advocacy groups, uh, befriended Justice Thomas and began to pay for his lifestyle, which included uh, buying his mother's house for her to live in rent-free, paying the private school tuition of a young man who... uh, Justice Thomas was raising as his son, paying for truly splendid vacations for uh, the Thomases, or at least Justice Thomas, and then apparently having jet travel available to him when he needed to travel by private jet. So that's a lot of generosity, and the fact that it was all secret makes it even worse. At its core, this comes down to it's a symptom of judicial ethics and really quite frankly of oversight you're basically saying that this is sort of the summation of an ongoing problem that frankly at this point in time no one in the party in power seems willing to address yeah it's um a symptom of a significant problem with the courts and it's not just a series of you know technical violations, it actually plays out in real people's lives with um, climate change regulations that get killed by the uh, billionaire-supported majority, women's reproductive rights that get killed by the billionaire-supported majority, uh, intrusions on democracy, both through dark money and through voting rights, uh, performed at the behest of the right-wing billionaire group. So there's a real set of consequences in regular people's lives and regular Rhode Islanders' lives from this predicament that the Supreme Court has put itself in. What's the next step? Where do we go from here? 
Well, we're going to keep uh, investigating. Uh, the lawyer's letters that came back are not at all convincing. So we're going to pursue the um, information that we need. If necessary, we may have to resort to other methods. Um, but the investigation is not going to go away. Let me give you one example of how bad the letter was that came back from the lawyer for Harlan Crow saying he wouldn't give us uh, any information at all. Uh, they said that this was uh, an offense against uh, separation of powers, that the Congress has no business looking into uh, these gifts, or more specifically, the reporting, failure to report of these gifts. And what the letter overlooked is that the reporting requirement is a law. It is congressional statute. And the body that oversees it and enforces it, the Judicial Conference, is a body created by Congress, by statute. So we're already in this, and the court has never objected in the decades that this law has been in place, in the decades that the Judicial Conference has been in place. The Supreme Court has never objected either to the law or to that body or said that it's a violation of separation of powers for Congress to have done those things. So this is a late arriving argument that has almost zero credibility. What else do you suspect we may uncover in terms of, broadly speaking, judicial ethics? Something, I mean, it's obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but given that this is a symptom, are you concerned that there may be more coming down the pike here? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's a huge screen of front groups and shell corporations through which this operation to capture the court was performed. And when you start following all those different front groups and shell corporations and fictitious named organizations, it can get to be pretty confusing. But once you're through that barrier of confusion, Behind it is just a few operatives and just a few right-wing billionaires. And I think what we'll find is that those operatives and those right-wing billionaires turn up all over the place in dealings with the court. Um, maybe emblematically, when the story about Harlan Crow and um, Justice Thomas came out, one of the things that came out with it was a picture of a painting that had been done of Harlan Crow with Justice Thomas and a number of other individuals uh, sitting around a terrace together. And one of those other individuals is Leonard Leo, who is the person who is the billionaire's chief operative at fixing the court. Um, so I think wherever you look, you'll see these fingerprints of a few billionaires and a few fixers uh, behind these organizations, and we're just going to keep digging until we know what the truth is. We'll certainly keep on top of that major issue as we move along. There's really no other way to put it, and kudos to you for at least, at the very least, putting pressure and bringing this to public attention, even if inevitably you're up against your opposing party in actually making anything happen in real time in terms of legal changes um, or legal action, I should say, at least this is in the public realm right now. Yeah, and you know who's paying attention is other judges. 
And the judicial conference, this administrative body that oversees the judicial branch of government is made up of other judges. There's only one Supreme Court justice on it. That's Chief Justice Roberts who chairs it. But there are a lot of other judges out there who are really quite angry at what the Supreme Court has been up to, at the Supreme Court's pretense that what has been up to is fine, and at the fact that when the Supreme Court pretends that what it's doing is fine, it casts a shadow on all the other judges with the suggestion that maybe they might be doing it too. And the other federal judges know perfectly well they're not up to any of this mischief. They know perfectly well they'd get in trouble if they tried and that it would be wrong to do it. So I think there's um, some irritation uh, and desire to reform that is building within the judiciary. You heard it from uh, Chief Justice Roberts just yesterday saying that he would uh, take on various efforts to clean it up. Um, so I think there's there's the prospect of progress through the uh, irate, irate other federal judges. Uh, and they've already started to show it a little bit. Um, I asked them to investigate one issue that appeared to be a problem with the Supreme Court. And they came back and gave me basically a complete victory. And um, so that gives me some confidence that the judicial conference might actually come through. Now that's really interesting lens to look at this with. Um, quickly, I just want to ask you about the debt ceiling. Here we are. I mean, we're approaching the original, hopefully um, not disaster point, right? You recently suggested the invocation of the 14th Amendment may be an appropriate course of action. Where are we today in terms of the debt ceiling from your vantage point? As far as I can tell, we are in no place. Um, I don't think it's looking good right now. There is one person in this conversation who is bringing the default hand grenade uh, into the room, and that is Speaker McCarthy, uh, egged on by his MAGA right-wing uh, eccentrics over in the House. And it's a very, very dangerous thing that he's playing with, but I don't see a path for him to come away from what he's done. He has to pass a debt limit. Um, the one that he proposed passing would cost 700,000 jobs and pitch us likely into a recession. So that's not a very good deal for the American public. It's not clear that he can agree to anything else. It's not clear that if he could agree to anything else, he could get Republicans in the House to support him and actually pass it. So um, it's a it's a bit of a spooky point with um a speaker who's never negotiated anything big bipartisan before now having to try to figure this out in real time while holding uh, the hand grenade to the American economy. And I think the sooner the president begins to take some unilateral action to protect against things going badly wrong, the better off we will all be. Yeah, it'll be somewhat unprecedented, I suppose. This inter-party dynamic between Republicans and Democrats and the intra-party dynamic between the far-right extremists in the Republican Party and what I suppose you could categorize as a more mainstream version of Republican and Speaker McCarthy himself. You know, those two dynamics, they seem to be on a collision course right now that is extremely, extremely concerning. And like you said, it's hard to see a pathway in, with that current duality of dynamic. Yes. And I think if you're looking at market signals, you can see 
um, early tremors, uh, particularly around the treasuries market, but there haven't been any really significant um, market shifts that the public would see yet. Um, and I think when those tremors start to happen, then I think perhaps the Republicans in the House who are completely responsible for this situation, they're the only ones in the room, not Mitch McConnell, not Chuck Schumer, not Joe Biden, not Hakeem Jeffries, they're the only ones in the room who have put this default threat uh, up on the table and made it real. And it's incumbent upon them to put the pin back in the hand grenade before it goes off. Senator Whitehouse, as always, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Bill.